You're listening to Country Music Success Stories featuring Music City mentor J.C. Don Valeris. Now, here's your host, Candy O'Terry. Anyone who's made a career on the radio will tell you that meeting a singer-songwriter is a big deal because you spend hours on the air hearing their songs in your headphones and then talking to listeners about them. The truth is, a hit record drives listeners to radio. The songs are the stars of any music format. In my experience as a radio pro, country artists are hands down the most friendly people to talk to. They're also the most grateful for the support they get from radio. This is especially true of Boston-based singer-songwriter Lori McKenna, who has taken stories about real life and turned them into songs you know by heart. Humble and kind, I wrote in my yoga pants in my dining room, staring out my dining room window one day while my kids were at school. And I just sat there in that spot for about 10 hours and wrote that song. Humble and kind, written in her yoga pants and sung by her good friend Tim McGraw, would go on to become a number one song, a country to pop crossover success story and win Lori McKenna her second Grammy for Best Country Song. We've got a rare clip coming up in this interview of Lori singing Humble and Kind before it was a hit on 95.9 WATD. That's a little local station in Marshfield, Massachusetts. We've also got her singing Girl Crush. J.C. Dawn and I jumped into the car for an interview with Lori, who was quarantining in her hometown of Stoughton, which is about eh, 10 miles away. We were welcomed into the studio at WATD and we connected to Lori for a chat. I started out by asking her if she had someone who believed in her songwriting way back when no one knew her name. In the beginning, my first big break came through Mary Gaucher, who was a singer-songwriter that I came up in the Boston community with. And she really brought my songs to Nashville and is the reason I got a publishing deal because of Mary. She's still a dear friend to this day. I don't know what I would do without her. I heard the story about how Faith Hill had heard about you and maybe saw some of your songs or heard them and then decided to stop her record, which was in process, and put some of your songs on it. That must have been huge for you. Yeah, that was really the beginning of all of this songwriting. You know, I had been writing alone for years and years, and Mary gave my record to a publisher named Melanie Howard, who gave it to Missy Gallimore, who gave it to Faith Hill, and Faith and Tim, ever since then, have just been champions, you know, and um, Faith was the very beginning. It was my introduction to Nashville. You know, Lori, we have something kind of painful in common, and that is that I lost my mother when I was a teenager, and I know that you were only seven years old. Right, right. What do you remember about that time in your life? I don't have too many memories other than my dad telling me that my mom had passed away, and I remember my family sort of just coming in. You know, like, I think when families go through tragedies like that, they sometimes they go out, and mine went in, and we are... To this day, a very close-knit family, and we take care of each other. And I think it, you know, that was really one of the biggest things in our lives. You know, my brothers ended up having to help my dad raise me and my sister, and we're tight as can be now. Isn't it true that it takes a village to raise a child, right? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about your dad. You were raised by your dad, but it sounds like your whole family jumped in to help. What was the vibe like in your house? Was there a golden rule when you were growing up? I think more than anything, it was love. Try to love and respect one another. And my father, his name's Frank. 
Frank Darrell, you worked at Boston Edison for years and years. I want to say like 42 years or something crazy like that. I remember going to his retirement party and just being in awe of all the people that he worked with that loved him, you know, as much as, as we did. My father is a really responsible guy and just has always been very fair and stuck by us and, and taught us to, to stick by each other. You grew up in Stoughton, Massachusetts, which is south of Boston, for those of you who don't know where that is. And you still live there. You could live anywhere you want. What do you love about your hometown? (laughs) It's funny. um, You know, I used to tease saying, oh, they'll never get rid of me here. And now it's true. (laughs) They really, really, I hope they don't want to get rid of me because they can't now. Um, You know, it's just such a part of my being, I think. I could walk to my dad's house, you know, from my house and... My neighbor across the street, I went to high school together, and every one of my neighbors on my street we're friends with. And it's, we have a great community here. When my oldest son started in Little League, I remember standing on the Little League field saying, this is, a, this is a town full of really good people. And it's just part of us now. We do get to travel around a lot other than this year. But, you know, but it's just home. It's just home here. And I don't know where else I could possibly feel at home like I do here. Tell me a little bit about when you started singing and playing the guitar. I started playing guitar when I was around 13 or 12, and I had always been writing poetry, like really bad kid poetry. And I have two (laughs) older brothers that are (laughs) songwriters. And my brother, Richie, you know, said, once you know a couple of chords, Laura, you can just write songs instead of writing poems. And so I I just had always done that. You know, I took guitar lessons for about a year or two, and I didn't want to learn the basics. I just wanted to learn how to play songs. I was always, like, kind of impatient about it. And it's funny now, at 51 years old, I'm, like, learning basics that I skipped over altogether when I was a teenager. But, you know, it has served me well. The guitar is, is a friend. Songwriting has always been my way of journaling, my way of releasing emotions, and it's been a blessing for me. You're married at 19 years old to your childhood sweetheart. When you look back on that, that's pretty young, Lori. I know. (laughs) You must have had it really bad for this kid. (laughs) I I hope so, because we're still, you know, here we are. It's still 32 years later. Yeah, it's funny. You know, when you're 19, you think you're an adult. And now, once I had a 19-year-old kid, I realized how young I was (laughs) at the time. But we are so lucky because we grew up together. You know, those 20s when you change so much. And I feel like people change so much in their 20s. And instead of growing separately, we grew together. And um, every time, like everybody else, you hit a valley you just get through that and hope for the other side of it and you you know you you find another high point but um we've been really blessed to just be friends to like each other you know well you have five children and my big question for you is how did motherhood change you when i had my first child i was just so afraid i was going to screw it up because i didn't have my mother to teach me so many things so how did motherhood change you Right. I mean, it's funny because I tease and I say I don't really remember not being a mom anymore because I had my oldest, Brian. I was 20 when I had Brian. But I think being a mother has been my greatest teacher. You know, my kids have taught me most of the greatest lessons I've learned in my life. I've learned through my kids. And I did have those same worries, Candy, that you had about, um, you know, how am I going to do this? I don't know what this looks like. I don't remember my mom barely at all. I have a sister, Marie, and she helped me from the very beginning. And then we were young moms together and we kind of like leaned on each other. 
And, um, and again, my family, you know, my brother's a great mother. <laughs> and uh, because of that, you know, because we all did come in and help one another when we were so young, I think it made us all better parents for it. And our kids make us better parents. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Your music is so much about everyday life and your children have given you plenty of storylines. I remember on the air, my daughter would say, Mom, don't talk about me on the radio and don't <laughs> record me on the radio. Once I recorded her when she called me to say, Bub, I'm really sick today. Could you get me a note to get out of school? And I played it on the air and she was like, don't ever do that. You're taking advantage of me. So my question for you is, do your kids ever go, Ma, come on, what are you writing these songs about me for? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I can totally, I remember like parts of that happening. I have four sons and one daughter and I think the girls are a little bit more attuned to that so I can see that with my daughter a couple of times saying oh please don't ever write a song about that you know (laughs) but um they kind of all let me do my thing which is great and I have two kids that are songwriters now so they kind of get that there's a lot of rhyming involved in songwriting and sometimes it's not exactly the true emotion, but it, you know, the rhyme finds a story. And, um, and so we can't take everything quite literally, but my kids are kind of, I respect their spaces. I know you, you do too with your kids, but it's like, I think we learned that together. We learned, we figured it out. You hear a song on the radio and you say, I wish I wrote that song. What might that song be for you? So many great songs. When I'm asked that question, the first song that always comes to my head is I Can't Make You Love Me by Bonnie Wright, which was written by Alan Shambling and, and Mike Reed, but also The House That Built Me, which was also written by Alan Shamblin and Tom Douglas and Miranda Lambert made famous. But so many songs, you know, I, I love radio and I love driving in my car listening to a new song that I've never heard before. And I appreciate the craft of songwriting. And so there's just so many. The list goes on and on. You know, you just mentioned Bonnie Raitt, who is one of my favorite all-time singers and performers. Mm -hmm. And I read a recent review of your latest album, The Balladeer, and the critics said, quote, the most consistently top-notch album of her late blooming career. But my question to you is, you know, you've been doing this since 1996. And the reason why I mentioned Bonnie Raitt is because Remember when she got the Grammy for Nick of Time in 1990 and she told the audience, hey, hi, everybody. But you know what? This is my first Grammy, but I've been doing this for 25 years. What is the (laughs) lesson for you when you look back on this career? You just nailed it. It, The thing about music is you never will know it all. It just moves so quickly. It evolves. And there's always something else to chase. There's always something else to learn. Like I spent the whole weekend trying to learn this piano part because I can't really play the piano. There's always growth. There's always somewhere to go to in music that you haven't reached yet. And I think that's one of the things I love about it. Every time I write a song, I learn something new about songwriting. And I think that if we apply that to life, age won't be such a big thing for us because it's the same with life. Like we just, there's always more for us to learn. You know, there's always something that we can evolve into and grow into. And I think we worry too much about the numbers too too much. (laughs) I agree completely. You write a song and then the artist that takes the song breathes life into it with their voice, with their phrasing, and you hear it for the first time. Tell me what happens. I mean, the first time it ever happened to me was, was Faye Hill singing a song I wrote called Fireflies. 
Yes. And, um, I just broke apart. I felt the weight of like what I felt like the world come off my shoulders when I heard her voice sing one of my songs because I love songwriting so much and to have somebody else interpret your song is just the greatest gift. And obviously that's happened to me more times since, you know, now that I've been able to write so much, but, and been so lucky about it, but you know, Tim McGraw singing humble and kind and just the McGraws in general, that family has been so great to my family and so great to me. It never gets old when you hear someone else sing your song. It's just, it's a, it's a great gift. Well, there are so many songs at this point and so many incredible hits and Grammys and ACM awards. Let's do a little lightning round. Your biggest hits. Let's talk about the story behind the song, Girl Crush. Yes. Yeah, so I wrote Girl Crush with Liz Rose and Hillary Lindsay, and we were in this writing camp, these little camps that we do, the three of us kind of camp out and have a three-day slumber party, and we write songs like from the minute we wake up in the morning until the minute we sleep, and we have girl time and other things. But I said I wanted to write a song called Girl Crush, and Hillary Lindsay famously started singing that song. She just literally sang the first four lines of that song as they are. And she looked up at me and she said, you mean like that? Wow. <laughs> Liz and I got to witness magic kind of come through her. And she wasn't overthinking anything. It was like 830 in the morning. She was just sitting there with a cup of coffee and a guitar in her lap. And she just strummed those four lines. And and we chased the song and we just let the song be what it seemed to want to be. And um it was such a journey. It was such a great moment of three friends sharing this, like, kind of this little spark of magic that came. Here comes a rare recording from November 2014 of Lori McKenna singing Girl Crush live on her favorite local station, 95.9 WATD, on a show called Almost Famous. Well, I got a girl crush. Hate to admit it. I got a heart rush Ain't slowing down I got it real bad Want everything she has That smile and that midnight laugh She's giving you now Humble and kind Humble and Kind, I wrote in my yoga pants in my dining room, staring out my dining room window one day while my kids were at school. My oldest was 25 at the time, and my youngest was 10, and my youngest now is 16. But I dropped all the kids off at school. I was home alone, and I just sat there in that spot for about 10 hours and wrote that song for my kids. I I never got out of my pajamas. I got to tell you, that gives a whole new purpose to yoga pants is all I have to say, right? <laughs> you know there's a light that glows by the front door Don't forget the keys under the mat The child that stars shine Always stay humble and kind Go to church cause your mama says to Visit grandpa every chance that you can It won't be a waste of time Always stay humble and kind Oh, the door, say please, say thank you 
There's Lori McKenna on 95.9 WATD. The story goes something like this. She sang the song live in 2014, and at that time, she had high hopes for the song, but she was still kind of working on it. Tim McGraw would add his voice to it, and she would take home her second Grammy for Best Country Song for the song she wrote in her yoga pants. I'll always remember you this way for the movie A Star is Born. Oh, that was a great story. That song we wrote out in L.A. in studio with Lady Gaga and the full band. And it was myself and Natalie Hemby, Hillary Lindsay, Lady Gaga. And there was a bunch of other writers there. And we were writing for the film. But the, the storyline was still kind of evolving. The storyline's a storyline, but there was there was details in the story that were evolving and changing. And Bradley Cooper would come in and sort of read a new part. And we wrote that song one afternoon. I remember sitting on the floor and just with, you know, Lady Gaga, Natalie and Hillary and just watching this. They're all, the three of them are exceptionally great singers. To watch that song kind of come out of nowhere and be built in that space was really fun. And we were so thankful to get that song in the movie. And if Bradley Cooper just happens to walk in the room every once in a while, that's not bad too, right? Yeah. (laughs) There's your inspiration, Lori. Come on. (laughs) The song, It All Comes Out in the Wash. I love that song. Tell me about that one. Oh, wow. So Liz Rose, Hillary Lindsay, myself, and Miranda Lambert wrote that song. And that was Miranda's idea. That was a term she like she brought in. And she's like, you know, my mom used to always see this. And there's so many things. And as soon as we had like the groove, which like just Hillary started working out this groove and just playing this chord over and over. And Miranda just started going with all. She's so good at imagery and these storylines where it's just like, pieces of like how do we pick this apart in like in a fun way and that was a ball to write I was glad I had my computer to type down all the lyrics because there was so many lyrics coming at us that day so quickly between the three of them and just like all the different ways that we can sort of like get over this love get over this loss and and it'll all be fine in the end are you loving this Grammy award thing I mean how does it feel to win a Grammy come on and song of the year and you're up for another Grammy this year well it's been such a blessing I still can't get over it you know I still can't get over it. the first year I got to go to the Grammys was for girl crush and uh, then I went back the next year for humble and kind and since then we've been back a couple of times and just to be in that room just to be around every kind of music, you know, and every kind of life that that music touches is, um, it's such a, you know, the Recording Academy does such an amazing job. And this year they've done such an incredible job with with money to help um, musicians and, and, and all sorts of people get through this tough year. And it'll be a blessing. Crowded Table being nominated for Song of the Year was a bit of a surprise. I was pleasantly surprised and, um, I feel it's it's such an honor. Well, when you get a Grammy and you get ACM awards, you've really reached a point in your career where you've got a body of work that you can look back on and say, that's pretty good. So my question for you is, what does success mean to you? How do you define it? I've always tried to just really define what I'm doing in music with the idea that can I still do it? And that's why when I talk about hearing space things, Fireflies for that first song and that weight being lifted. I think that that was my first real sign. Like you can keep doing this. This is gonna, you're gonna be okay. <laughs> you can still have music in your life. 
And I think for me, success is that I get to do this every day. I get to, you know, right now I'm sitting in my basement and, you know, I'm about to jump on a, a session and get to write another song. I think for me, I've been blessed to just show up and have somebody meet me somewhere and just say, yeah, keep going. And, you know, every little step I've taken has led me to the next one. And sometimes it's a jump, but every time I sort of stuck my neck out musically, I was rewarded. And I think the success and all that is really just being, still being thankful for every minute of it and getting to do it every day. I want to say thank you, Lori, so much. I can now check off number 46 on my bucket list because I've wanted to interview you for the longest time. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Candy. I appreciate it. It's, such, it's so great to hear your voice, and it's such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much. And here's to your next Grammy. Take care. <laughs> Thank you. Lori, here's Music City mentor, J.C. Don Valeris. Hi, J.C. Hi. What advice would you have for a young songwriter who is just getting down to Nashville and getting acclimated in the songwriting world who hopes to have a career like yours? Yeah, I mean, I get this a lot, and it's funny because I have two kids that literally moved to Nashville last year to be songwriters, and what I tell them and what I tell everybody is you have to be able to interpret your own song, and what I mean by that is I have lots of friends, and one of my kids doesn't like to sing as much as the other, but I have been in rooms where a songwriter that you wouldn't consider, quote-unquote, a great singer has interpreted their song, has just picked up a guitar or sat at a piano and just simply sang their song. And it's the most spiritual and like beautiful thing you can see. When you see the writer sing that song, even if it's made famous by one of the greatest singers in the world, to be able to see the writer sing the song is important. And people like me and people that respect songs as much as I do, that's always the greatest way to to hear a song. And I think a lot of people know how to write songs really well, but they don't believe in their ability to present them. And I've had that confidence issue myself. I'm not a great singer like some of these great singers, but you have to be able to do it because your way is going to always be the best. What a thrill it was getting to talk with Lori McKenna. She's a perfect example of what can happen when you set your mind to a goal and when you strive for greatness. With the right people around you, and a little luck, extraordinary things really can happen. On the day we talked to Lori, Candy and I drove down to WATD Studios in Massachusetts. It was a beautiful, snowy, quintessential New England day, and I remember passing the Stoughton exit on our way. I told Candy how remarkable it was knowing that Lori had grown up there, just around the corner where Candy and I had also spent so much of our lives. It just goes to show you that no matter where in this world you come from, you really can be anything you want to be. One thing that Candy, Lori, and I all have in common, besides growing up in New England, is our belief in the importance of the support from your hometown and the local radio stations that keep the music flowing throughout this country. WATD was one of the very first stations to support Lori's music, and well, you just heard the rest of that story. Another fun fact, WATD was also one of the very first stations to play my music. So you see, it really is the foundation that so many music careers are built on. With that being said, I wanted to talk with you today about local radio, songwriting, and why it's so important for you to gain the confidence to perform your own music. So when you're finally lucky enough to make it into a radio station, you'll be ready for your on-air interview or performance. 
Like Lori said, having the confidence to perform the songs that you've written, even if you don't consider yourself an artist or a singer, is really an essential piece in getting the world to recognize your talent. It's a tool, just like social media or networking. You've really got to allow people the opportunity to hear your songs. If you're sitting there wondering how in the heck you're going to get from your bedroom floor, where you're probably starting to piece together your lyrics and your melodies, into the hot seat at a radio station, I've got a couple tips for you. First and foremost, you've got to get your confidence up. Let me suggest a couple of ways that you can do this. Number one, record demos of your songs. If you don't play yourself or have a musician on board, ask around and get somebody who doesn't mind helping or who will do it for a small fee. It will be worth every single penny you spend to get these songs from inside of your head into a digital format. If you can only afford one person to accompany you, that's okay. Get an acoustic guitar player for an up-tempo or a pianist if you've written a ballad. Once you're in the recording studio, you will most likely be paying by the hour, which I know it can add a good amount of stress and pressure to your session. So make sure you're completely ready to go. Practice like crazy beforehand and even record yourself into your phone or maybe even into your laptop to get a feel for what's going to happen when that record button hits. And even though being in the studio can feel a little stressful, remember, you can always go back and fix things. Next, play your songs out live. Start small at an open mic or sitting in with a local band, then eventually move up to playing them at your own gigs. There's nothing like working your songs out in front of an audience to find out what works and what doesn't. When you've got all of these pieces going strong, it's time to finally reach out or have a manager or maybe a publicist reach out to your local radio stations. With any luck, you'll be given an opportunity to do an in-studio visit. Here is my radio station checklist of all the things you need to remember during your visit. Number one, introduce yourself to everyone with a positive attitude. In last week's episode, we touched on this, but here is your friendly reminder. People will always, always remember how you made them feel. And if they felt good around you, chances are they're going to support your music even more. Number two. Here is a list of the people you need to know in order of importance at the station. Number one, the program director. Number two, the assistant program director. And number three, the music director. If given the chance to introduce yourself, do it with all three of these people. Number three, be flexible. You never know what's going to happen when you head into the studio. You might think you're just headed in for a quick on-air interview, and at the last minute, you might be asked to sing. Always come prepared with an instrument or accompaniment. And that can often go the other way, too. If the station is running behind, you may have originally been asked to sing, but could be bumped down to a quick talk. That's okay. Remain grateful and go with the flow. Number four, be prepared to do some radio liners and offer them if you aren't asked. A liner is when you hear an artist on the air endorsing a station or a show that you're listening to. Here's a good example of a great liner. Hi, this is JC Don Valeris, and you're listening to the Country Music Success Stories podcast. Do them quickly and do them straight and always in a professional way. Finally, my last tip is to always follow up. 
If you've taken photos at the station, tag the on-air talent and the station when you post them. If you've connected with a program director or anyone at the studio that you hope to eventually grow a relationship with, send them a thank you note for their time. And when it comes time for your next single or album release, make sure that they are given some of the very first copies. Do all of this with confidence. Remember what Lori said, we all struggle sometimes with this, but I promise you, confidence will make you more memorable. Brilliant advice from J.C. Don Valeris about the power of local radio. And let me add that it's much easier to get airplay as an emerging artist on a small, unrated radio station than it is on a major market station. So seek out those small hometown stations first. If it worked for Lori McKenna, it just might work for you. For a free tip sheet on the importance of confidence and creating relationships that last, Starting with local radio, just go to candyoterry.com backslash country music podcast. Subscribe to JC's YouTube channel for insights and advice on how to make it in Nashville. And if you liked country music success stories, please subscribe and tell a friend and leave a review. Follow us on social at candyoterry and at JC Don Valeris. And thank you so much for listening. <laughs>